We're continuing on with our second installment of a series. We do because of who? And the main point is that it's our identity in Christ that's been given to us freely that inspires us to live the kind of lives that we've been called to live. Recently, we visited Six Flags. It was our kids' first visit ever. To say that they had the time of their lives would have been an incredible understatement. You see how happy. This was the beginning of the day. You know, the end of the day, the kids were still excited. We were a little bit more frazzled, you know, a little bit more tired. But, you know, every, every year at Six Flags, important things happen, right? You and I know this. Friendships strengthen. Romances blossom. How many of you have been on a date to Six Flags? Let's be honest. I haven't. I went to Kings Island, but that was up in Ohio. No, that's just a couple. All right. Yeah, the rest of you all aren't telling the truth. Parents are able to do something special for their children. Summer camp and youth camps, calendars are filled. Fears are conquered. Stomachs turn. Like mine did. I needed a little bit of drama. I mean, I have to be honest. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not as good as I once was. Copious amounts of overpriced Coca-Cola products are consumed, right? Anybody get frustrated about the prices? But all in all, it's a great experience. You know, not all the employees are enthusiastic, but the park goers are almost unanimously happy and optimistic, right? We look around, we see the smiles on people's faces, we're a little bit more patient because we know that the experience isn't just about you and me, it's about, it's about all of us experiencing something important together. And then consider the sheer amount of human and financial resources it requires to pull this off every single day. Do you know that in Six Flags North America, they have 1,900 full-time employees? They have 27,000 seasonal employees. Now, why does Six Flags exist, you may wonder. I looked it up. According to their corporate mission statement, they exist to deliver family fun and create fond memories for all of their guests. Now, to be honest, they also exist to provide a profit or to earn a profit for their shareholders. And by all accounts, they're accomplishing both of these goals. Now, we've all had experiences where we participated in an operation that was bigger and more complex than us. And I couldn't have asked for a better analogy this morning, but a number of you have served in the military. You know, everybody's working together, and our collective effort together is much greater than anything we could have accomplished on our own. Now, what if we could apply our energy in the church in the way that a corporation pursues profit like a laser or the way that, that a military collaborates together to defend its country? What if we could bring that same energy in the church? Now, the big idea for us today, last week we talked about our identity in Christ and what's been done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. The big idea today is that God didn't just save you and me from something. You know, it's not just about fire insurance. He saved us for something, and he saved us for something together. This week we're going to learn the bigger purpose for which God has saved each one of us. You know, in the final message, we're going to talk about plenty of individual application for you and I to live out our calling. But today we're going to focus on the fact that God has saved us not just from something, but for something and something important. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, verses 1 through 6 and then 11 through 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. The Apostle Paul begins, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So what, what stands out to you there immediately is that Paul is a prisoner. He's in prison. Can you imagine how discouraging this would be for Paul? 
Now, this reminds me of that time when John the Baptist is awaiting execution. He's ticked off the wrong political figure, and he's in prison, and he knows that the end is near. And so he sends some people to Jesus and says, are you the one who was to come, or or, or should we expect someone else? But you see the Apostle Paul here, at this point, he's probably in Rome. Now, he would spend a number of years in Roman tradition says that he would never leave Rome alive, that he would be executed in Rome. But you see, with Paul, his circumstances, they didn't define him. He still had a calling. He still had work to do. And ultimately, they did not defeat him. So this is the kind of person who's giving this challenge to people while he himself is in prison. And he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. So what kind of calling have you and I received? Simply, we have received a calling to be a part of something bigger than you or me. Something bigger. To be a part of the mystery in Ephesians, as I was studying this week, he talks about the mystery of the church in Ephesians chapter 3. What is that mystery? That mystery is that God's vision was much bigger than we ever, than particularly the Jews anticipated at the time. You know, back in the Garden of Eden, God hinted that he had a plan to deal with sin. Through the Exodus, he alluded that his plan was bigger. He talked to the, to the Israelites and said, you know, this is about not just you, but this is going to be a sign. This is going to be a witness to Egypt and to the other nations. Through the ministry of Jesus, God challenged the discrimination of the insiders versus the outsiders. And you know, though, God chose a man to begin with, Abraham. His aim was all men. Though God grew a nation, his heart was for all nations. And now through the finished work of Christ on the cross, the church is born. You know, the church is God's global solution to all of our national, regional, and local problems. It is. I mean, there is no other solution. When it, you know, as we all know so well, the church can do things that government can't. Going to list just a few of them. You know, when it comes to crime, government can only restrain. Only Jesus can change. When it comes to vulnerable children, government can only just provide resources, right? They make arrangements, they provide resources. But the church can connect. When it comes to conscience, government can only reflect, right? That's what government's designed to do. We reflect the will of the people. And the morality of the people. But the church can influence. When it comes to poverty, government can only alleviate, right? We'll just help, provide a little help there, a little help here. But the church can empower. When it comes to substance abuse, the government can only police and legislate. But the church can engage This week I was a part of a Celebrate Recovery launch group. We're going to be launching it in September, partnering with Grace Monroe at the Mill. The church can engage and make a difference. We have all been called to be a part of something important, something bigger than any one of us, and something bigger than any church, something bigger than any nation. It is the global church, which is God's global solution. So with that calling in mind, Paul gives us some instructions He says, verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Because if it's just about you or me, we're not going to have the strength. But this is about something bigger, something much more 
important. So he says, be completely humble and gentle in the way you relate to each other. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So what does that mean? In other words, it means I'm not perfect, right? And I don't expect you to be. I know all my flaws very, per- very intimately. If you want to know where my, where my weaknesses are, just ask my wife or my kids. They could tell you immediately. Hopefully they won't, but they could. So I'm not perfect, and I don't expect you to be. And therefore, that's the basis for me being humble, being gentle with you, the way that Christ has been gentle with me, bearing with you in love. And that's how we can, one way we can fulfill our calling. Do you remember in the original Rudolph movie that came out in 1964? Who's, who all's seen that? Yeah, and if you haven't, you've missed out. It's on YouTube. I probably shouldn't tell you that, but you can go watch it on YouTube. You remember in the Island of Misfit Toys? Remember there was a Charlie in the box? There was a spotted elephant? There was a choo-choo that squir- with square wheels? There was a water pistol that shot jelly? There was a cowboy who rode an ostrich? And then to top it all off, you've got the elf Herbie who wants, he really wants to be a dentist. And so they were an island full of misfits. But the truth is, we're all misfits, right? We all have problems. We all have struggles. We all have issues. But some of us, some of y'all maybe are better at hiding it than I am. We're just good at disguising the fact that we all have issues and we all have problems. So Paul says, live a life worthy of your calling in a few ways. He says, be humble, gentle, and patient. That's one way to live a life worthy of our calling. So the question for you today is, does this come natural to you? Is it natural for you to be humble, have a proper view of yourself and others? Is it natural for you to be gentle? Is it natural for you to be patient? If you're like me, it's not. So this is a growth area for us. We need to pray that God would help us to do this. Verse 3. Actually, I wanted to tell you a quick story. So with this humility, you know, years ago I was in high school, many years ago now. The, the more years go by, the longer it's in the past. And we had a janitor who worked at our school, private school I attended in North Carolina. And his name was Bruce Bell. And he was just the most kind, sincere person. But you know, he had a humble position. You know, a lot of the kids really wouldn't talk to Bruce but for some reason, I guess he sensed in me that, that I, I was friendly toward him. So he and I got to be pretty good friends. There were times that we would, we would pray together. He would share with me what was going on in his life. He would pray for me. And I'll never forget Bruce. And one time he invited us over to his house, or invited me to have dinner with his family. He had a number of kids, six or seven kids. And they, they didn't have a lot of money. And I remember we didn't even eat meat during the meal. But I'll tell you what, every single time I was with Bruce Bell, even though he was of humble position, of humble circumstances, I found myself humbled. And so I think that's what Paul is challenging us to consider. If we could be like that, we could be the kind of people that we're just, we're a magnet, and, and we attract, and we're open, and we relate in a way that says, hey, it's not about me. It's about you, and it's about the Lord. Verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Now, how can we do this? You know, we've already kind of hinted at it. How do we be united? You know, the way that it happens is that we have a proper view of ourself and a high view of God and others. 
And that means, you know, it's not that I'm, I'm a nobody. And th- this is where we struggle, right? We go one of two ways on this humility issue. One is to say, I'm nobody. Maybe, maybe that's you today. You just feel like I'm not important. I'm not significant. I don't matter. Now, the other extreme is to say, it's all about me, right? And sometimes we struggle with that, and we're tempted in that direction. But this is a proper view of self. And it says that I'm, I'm significant. You know, God said I'm his child. I'm important. I matter. But it's also saying that you matter just as much. So that is how we pursue unity. This is the attitude that God wants us to adopt. We don't see ourselves as higher than others, but we do recommend, we recognize that God has given us the ability to make a unique contribution that's unique to you and to me. So the second thing is he says, make every effort to keep unity. Make every effort. And this is our responsibility as individuals. So do you have a proper view of yourself? Is this a struggle for you to view, think less of yourself? Or is it a struggle for you to maybe think a little bit higher of yourself than others? So where are you at today? Verse 4. In reading this, sorry. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So again, how do we pursue unity? Focus on what we have in common, right? We have a lot in common. We have faith in common. And the truth is, it's what's under the surface is what matters. Because on, on, the, on the exterior, you and I look a little bit different, right? We come from different places. We have different backgrounds, different habits. In some ways, maybe a little bit different values, ways that we spend our time. But what's underneath is what matters. And like I learned with Mr. Bell, it's the faith that matters. It's the faith that unites us. So we have a whole lot in common. Jumping down to verse 11. It was he, talking about the Lord, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. And so the point here is that everybody has a different part to play. You and I both have a part to play. You know, God gifted people differently to play different roles. But our oneness does not eliminate our individuality. You know, growing up in church, the message to me seemed to be how we all needed to be the same. Maybe it was for you. We all needed to dress the same. We needed to think the same. We needed to vote the same, right? But then I thought, as I've reflected on that, if we were all the same, it'd be kind of a boring world, wouldn't it? So it doesn't eliminate our individuality, but we each need to do our part. What if each church member would do their part? Recently, I was listening to a podcast about a a Christian Major League Baseball player named Ben Zobrist. Now, Ben went to a very small college. I think it was up in Chicago. And and, um, it took him some time to build up his abilities. And he finally got a chance to play AAA ball in a farm system when he was 26. And he... um, he knew that he was behind the eight ball and it was going to take a real, he's going to have to really make it happen fast if he's going to play in the bigs. But what was against him as well is he wasn't an overpowering pitcher. He wasn't a power hitter. You know what, Ben Zobers, he's, he's a utility infielder, which means he can play several different positions. But he applied himself and he had an attitude of, I'm here to make the team better. 
and through hard work and diligence and the Lord opening doors, he got a chance to play for a, for a world championship team last season with the Kansas City Royals. And when they talk about Ben, he just he has this, this spirit about him that he's, he knows he has a contribution to make, but it's about the team. It's about the group. It's about the unit. And at the end of the season, after they won the world championship, the Chicago Cubs recognize the talent. Now, this is, again, this isn't a slugger. This isn't a guy that throws heat. This is just a utility infielder, but he had, so, had built such a reputation for making a contribution that they rewarded him with a big contract. So I believe this is what the Lord wants for us. He wants for us to be aware of ourselves, not thinking less or more of ourselves, but just be willing to do our part and to play our part. Because the truth is, you and I have different strengths and weaknesses. You know, it's as if we were designed to complement one another. And in the words of a great philosopher, it's like, you know, we're peas and carrots. Peas and carrots. Now, many of you know who that is. It's the great Forrest Gump. But God has designed us to complement each other, right? We complete each other. So, what part is God asking you to play this morning? You know, what, how has he gifted you? Who are you? And how can you contribute to his mission? How can you contribute to his body that's doing important work in this world? Verses 12 and 13. This is where we're heading. So, he gives us some things to do, right? He says that we need to pursue unity. He says that we need to be humble, gentle, and patient. He says that we need to do our part, and it's for a reason. It's, and we're going to see the results of what happens in the body of Christ when everybody is doing their part and has the right attitude. Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So he's saying that the church will be prepared to serve. So if we have the right attitude, if we're pursuing unity, if we're doing our part, then the body of Christ is going to be prepared to serve. Now thinking on a bigger, you know, in a bigger way about this, what if each church can do its part. Think of all the churches just in Walton County. How many would you imagine there are? There's a bunch. Now, if each church, who is kind of, it kind of represents like a plot of ground that they've been given to ten, and what it is is a network of relationships. It's people within the church, and if each church was doing its part, was engaging with their people, and was being faithful with every opportunity, I mean, what might God do with that? Because I want to address just for a moment this temptation for us to compete with each other, with churches, with pastors. But the truth is, if other churches in our county win, man, we win. I mean, if Monroe Church of God and New Beginnings Baptist Church and First Baptist Church and any church you name, Grace Baptist Church, if they win, we win. And I'll tell you why. Because if people have a great church experience, it increases awareness that church is the place to be. Think about what kind of influence, that, how that spreads in a community when people start thinking, man, there's a great church, and there's a great church, and there's a great church. I better get involved because I need some help. And then secondly, even if every church in Walton County was running at full capacity this morning, if every one of them was bursting at the brim, I'm afraid we would have only made a dent in the population in our county. So my prayer for us is that we would be the biggest cheerleaders for every church. I want every church in this county to win. 
I want them to grow. I want them to engage because you know what happens is when they're winning and we're winning, then we share ideas and we encourage each other. And when, and when things are going well at my church, I'm willing to say to somebody, hey, maybe you should try this church. They're closer. I actually know the guy who runs it. I know the people. What if we could have that kind of impact in a community as a, as a body of Christians that's bigger than just one location? So I just want to take a moment to address that and say, let's cheer for each other. I know, I'm getting to know a lot of the pastors in the area, and they're great folks. Let's cheer for each other. So the body is prepared to serve. Verse 14. Well, he also says, reach unity in faith and knowledge. You know, shared understanding is the key to group values and group movement. You know, if we believe the same things, if we understand the same things, if we're studying the scriptures together, then it brings us together. We value the same things. We're unified in our knowledge, and then we're willing to move together. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. So it's like we'll no longer be infants. If everybody's doing their part and we're engaging, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth, blown here and there. Here's a picture of the tree in our front yard. And you can imagine that tree with its size. It's weathered some seasons. It's weathered some storms. And so if we're engaging in the way that we've talked about today, it's like God, he, we're like a tree. As individuals and as a church, he gives us deep, deep roots. And you know, truthfully, if, if each of us was like a tree planted by streams of water, like Psalm says, and we allow God to grow us and to deepen us and to strengthen us and to give us deep, deep roots, and then we're placed one next to another, I mean, how are you going to uproot a row of trees? Not just one tree, but a row of trees that are, the roots are intertwined. Think of the strength there. Think of the staying power there. But what Paul was running into is people with, sh- with shallow roots. And they weren't unified. And they were getting picked off by the enemy. And they were getting swayed. They were getting blown. When somebody comes with a new teaching and says, hey, don't listen to Paul, listen to me. Some of these folks were falling for it. Because their roots weren't deep and they weren't intertwined. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ. You know, speaking the truth in love, this is a tough one. But it's a pathway and evidence of growing up. Think about where you're at in your life. Are you the kind of person that can just call it like it is? But in love? Man, that's rare. That's a rare commodity. Somebody who can speak the truth in love. I mean, that's evidence of a process. That's taken some time to get there. And I think that's what God, where he wants us to be as a church. If we can be the kind of people that can speak the truth without guile, with kindness, with love and compassion in our hearts, then we're really growing as individuals and as a body. And then he also says that Christ is the head. You know, I'm the head of my family, but if Christ is not my head, my family is not going to thrive. And so the global church, the local church, my family, you know, if we're not under the headship of Christ, we're not going to thrive. In another passage, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So Christ is the head. And when under the right leadership, 
things flourish. And Jesus is the perfect leader. He led by example. He led with sacrifice. So this is the plan all along, is that we would grow, number three, into maturity. You know, what we've already described is the path to maturity together. You know, you and I are not going to grow in isolation, but I can remember a time in my life, and I was reading a lot of devotional materials, I was reading a lot of spiritual books, I was in Bible college, and there was this trend to say that if you're going to, if you, real spiritual maturity comes when you get off by yourself on a mountain, just you and God, and you journal and pray, and you have this experience with God. And I think that's misleading, because I don't, I don't think we were ever designed to function that way. Obviously, we're not designed to grow that way. What God is calling us to is something that's not about you, and it's not about me, it's about us. So if we're going to grow into maturity, then it's going to be together. And then finally, verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So from Christ, the body grows and builds itself up in love. Every supporting ligament joins and does its work. Each part does its work. And when the body of Christ is functioning as the way it was designed, you know, if an individual stumbles, one of us struggles, then the body of Christ bands together and lifts that person up. And if somebody sins, he or she can find restoration through the church, even as the body continues to witness to God's truth. So this is where God wants us to be, lastly, to be able to build ourselves up. So if we're doing our part and then we're, we're seeing these things happen, we're prepared to serve, we're reaching unity and faith and knowledge, we're growing into maturity, and then we're able to build ourselves up, then we're on the path. You know, in the universal body of Christ, God has gifted us with everything we need to make a difference in this world. He's given us all we need. And so if we've got every person doing their part, what a difference we can make in the lives of each other and the lives of the people in our community. So what about you today? Is it difficult for you to be humble gentle, patient? Are you, are you struggling with maybe feeling like you're not very important? Or are you struggling with feeling like you're very important? You know, where are you at today? Are you making every effort to keep unity? You know, do you have a proper view of yourself and others? Are you making every effort, pulling out all the stops? Because it's important. You know, if we don't have unity in the church, where else is it going to be? It's going to be a struggle for us all. You know, and just on a personal note, when I was growing up, church was an important part of my life. I remember kids I went to school with a little bit, but I'll never forget the people I went to church with, the people I shook hands with, the people who knew my name, the people who cared when I hurt, the people who fed me, <laughs> the people who laughed with me, the people who did life with me. Those are the people that I'll never, ever forget. So are you making every effort to keep unity? Are you doing your part in the body of Christ? You know, this is unique to you. I mean, God's not asking the same from all of us, but he's asking you to be willing. He's asking you to be open to doing your part. And then what about us today as a church? Are we prepared to serve? Are we ready to do our part? Are we going to be responsible with the plot that God's given us to tend? Because it's not about being you know, doing everything or accomplishing everything, but it is about being faithful with what God's given us to do, what he's given our hands 
to do. Where are we at in terms of a unified faith and shared understanding? Are we studying the Word of God? Are we growing together? Are we growing towards maturity? And are we at that place where we can actually take care of each other? You know, we don't have to look to outside help. God's given us all that we need. You know, what if we were all moving in the same direction as a body? You know, what if we're all rowing in the same direction as a body? Think of the power that would be available to us, to our families, to our community, and at the disposal of our Heavenly Father. Pray with me. God, thank you for this morning and for my friends here. What a great morning it's been, Lord. We're so excited and encouraged, God, that you care enough about us to give us a new identity, but you also didn't just save us from something, God, but you saved us for something, something important, something big, something bigger than us, something global, God, in, in your church. We believe it's the hope of the world. It is the global solution to all of our national, local, and regional problems. So we're just crying out to you to help us, help us grow up a little bit, help us to do our part, help us to be a part of something important, God, and then help us as a body to make the difference that you've designed us to make that you've crafted us to make, the people that you've already brought into our lives, God. We don't have to go out necessarily and be with strangers. You're just asking us to be faithful in our own backyard. And we can do that, God. But more truthfully, you can do that through us when we're doing our part and we're united together as the body of Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray.